Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Ilaria. And I'm Daphne. And today's conversation is with Gabby Bernstein. She is a super well-known motivational speaker, author, spiritual advocate. She's going to share a lot with us today about her own journey to motherhood, which was long and hard, hard one, but really beautiful at the same time. And, um, and she's really candid about what that experience did to her and what it has continued to do for her and how she's navigated through it um, and come out on the other side with an even deeper understanding of um, of the spiritual work that she does. I think that a lot of us are are similarly on uh, in terms of the sharing the road there. Some really cool ideas that I am excited to try to incorporate into my own life. One thing that you guys will hear more about is called Rage on the Page. I'm not going to give it away, but Definitely stay tuned and take a listen um, as Gabby explains some of her tried and true practices for living a a super attractor life. This is Gabby. Mom, play. I'm Gabby Bernstein. I'm uh, an author and a spiritual self-help book author, a motivational speaker, a mom to Oliver, a wife to Zach, and a private chef to both of them. <laughs> Did we ask where we can follow you? Uh, GabbyBernstein.com uh, at Gabby Bernstein on social media. Gabby, <laughs> I, I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy to have you on Mom Brain. I think this is going to be one of um, one of our our crew's most loved conversations. I'm quite sure of it because you are always just jam packed full of like counsel and wisdom beyond your years, and just so much life experience and just cool, cool things to share and uplifting positivity in a time when I think lots of people need that. Um, but because we are mom brain, I, I think the best place to start is you're a mama now. You're a mama to like a little boy who's a year and a couple months now. Can you tell the, the guys listening, and I'm sure most people are familiar with your story, but if not, just give us a little bit of your background and, uh, like your, your journey to motherhood and what that process has been like for you. And then what it's been like now that we're in quarantine, what's that looking like? All right. Well, it's, it's been a journey and it continues to be. I uh, was very public about how it was a difficult experience for me to try to conceive. It took me three years to conceive my son. I was in a very, very dark state of severe anxiety and hyper arousal, and I didn't know why. When I when I first started to try to conceive my son, I was in a, a pretty scary place. My husband had just left his uh, his job, uh, at a big job at JP Morgan that he'd been in the same group for 10 years and he left to run our, our business with me. And so that was like a big control thing that was released. And uh, I didn't realize it, but at the time I was actually cracking into a dissociated memory from my childhood. So because, often, I think a lot of moms listening will totally agree with this, but often even our decision to become a mother can activate uh, old wounds, really unearth things for us. And of course, becoming a parent is a whole other story. So I, uh, I in that three-year period trying to conceive my son, I remembered that traumatic event. I started to heal the trauma. I I stopped trying to conceive for a period because I had to really learn how to mother myself before I could even contemplate being a mother. I went on a deep spiritual journey of, of, of what it meant to reclaim 
my, my little Gabby, you know, really heal myself. By the time I was really ready to conceive, and when I did, I was actually in probably the healthiest place I'd ever been in my life. Uh, and I continue to get healthier and healthier. But that, at that stage, I was probably the healthiest I've ever been physically and mentally. And I put so much energy and time into my own healing journey that, that I believe that that was probably one of the most significant reasons why I was able to conceive at that time. And in my book, Super Attractor, I tell a whole story about all these different signs that I was getting before I conceived my son. I think I should probably tell that story here. It's pretty good. Please, absolutely. But uh, about... Four months before I was trying to conceive, I was driving in, no, before I did conceive, I was driving in the countryside where I live most of the time and obviously full time right now. And I was driving in the countryside and I live, it was in the fall and I, I live where there's the most epic foliage in the whole world. And I'm just witnessing the foliage on the right and on the left and just seeing the trees and the gold and the yellow and the red and the pink. And it was just so epic. And I'm listening to mantra music and I'm just really tuned in. Okay. And like, you know, those moments when you just feel really good and you're like singing in the car. And all of a sudden I felt the presence of a baby in the back seat. And I started to cry. I just started just feeling this energy of this child in the back seat, and I'm driving, and he and he or she is with me. And what the? Oh my god! And then I hear this intuitive voice. For me, sometimes it's an audible voice, truly, but I heard it as an intuition. And the voice said to me, "The baby is coming in March." I was like, "Whoa! It's November. That's soon." Okay. So I start, you know, thinking March, 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 and then I started to see myself controlling and thinking about the schedule and the timeline. I started to bug out. At which point I said, okay, uh, universe, if this is indeed March, show me a sign of lilies. I just picked a random sign. Show me the sign of lilies. A week later, I get a letter in the mail from a reader of mine and they sent me this little note and then there was a little prayer card. On the back of the prayer card was this image of Archangel Gabriel. And Archangel Gabriel is typically depicted holding lilies. And he wrote on the card, I don't know why, but I felt that you needed this. What? No, keeps going. Keeps going. Daphne, hold on to your seatbelt. Here we go. Hold on to your hold on to your sweatpants, girlfriend. Here we go. Oh, don't worry. They're very tight. These are spandex. Actually, they're not going anywhere. Yes, go on. Okay. So so I I'm like, oh my God, my baby's coming in March. Maybe baby's coming in March. And March rolled around and I got my period and I wasn't pregnant. And I just it just like once again, it had been three years of trying and three years of disappointment. I was just like, fuck, you know, where, why am I here again? And I went into my husband's office and I just started hysterically crying and I was sitting on his lap and my phone was on his um, desk and it was off and I'm just crying and crying. And I'm like, when's this baby coming? And all of a sudden my phone started playing a song that I had never heard before. Like my phone was locked and off and all of a sudden it starts playing a song. And I'm like, what the hell? You know, so you know when the technology does weird things, you're like, I'm just going to go shut it off. I go to shut off the phone and I start listening to the lyrics and the lyrics are way go Lily. And the guy keeps repeating way go Lily, way go Lily, way go Lily. I look closer. The song title is way go Lily and the album title is I see the sign. What the hell? This is so crazy. You literally couldn't make this up. (laughs) You can't make this up. No, you cannot. So then I'm like, okay, universe, like, I trust you. Just tell me what's up. Like I'll let go of time. I totally believe. Just show me what to do. Show me where to go. April rolls around 
and I'm pregnant. What? I do the math and I look back and I realize that I conceived the last day of March. Oh my gosh. I love it. That's amazing. (laughs) Now, but how did you just, because it's so, it's such an incredible story and there were clearly gaps where you're like, what the hell is happening here? How did, how do you talk yourself down from the ledge of not wanting to see the signs or not wanting to believe that they are coming or, you know, feeling like there's no end in sight? I mean, it's just, it's, it's incredible. It's just amazing. This is such a deep um, wound for me for those three years. And in that time, I wrote a book called The Universe Has Your Back. And I wrote a whole chapter about when you think you've surrendered, surrender more. And I, that chapter was so meaningful and it was my steps to surrender. And they, it was so meaningful that I was asked to do this talk for Oprah Super Soul Sessions. And I gave the entire talk on my conception journey because it was such a big, big wound that I had healed. And the way that I healed that wound was through the journey of surrender. And some of those steps of surrender were to turn over time. They were to be really focusing on what was already thriving in my life, my marriage, my health, my career. Rather, when we, when we redirect our focus onto what's thriving, we take our focus off of what we don't have. So whatever we're focusing on, we're creating momentum behind. So, and then there was prayers and there was meditative practices and there was so, and then so much more synchronicity. So when you would get in, I mean, I imagine that there were dark moments where you were frustrated you know, I think most women have had some sort of experience with either some bout of infertility, infertility, miscarriage. What would you do in those really difficult moments? Because so much of how we how we can look back on things is, you know, you, you can make sense of it. Okay, this was my story. And at the end, my son came. But the hardest thing is when you're in that moment, what are your tools to be able to just continue on? So the tools were very specific. I each day had to surrender through my prayer, through daily prayers, just show me where to go, what to do, trusting more faithfully, asking for signs. You know, even as I asked for that sign, it really was reassuring because I you know, I've devoted my life to my own spiritual faith and then being a conduit and a teacher to express that to others. So I had to live it. You know, if I was not living it, then I was a fraud. So connecting with a, a, a inner guidance system of my own understanding and then listening, listening for that guidance. And guidance came in other forms too. There's a lot of stories around this. And so just being, being really, really receptive uh, focusing on what was thriving, what, what is working so I can stop focusing on what's not working. Uh, and, and strengthening my faith every single day, uh, even when I couldn't see it yet. I also really had to get into a place of acceptance that I genuinely believed that I had some personal growth that I had to do in order to be a container through which I could hold a child. And I, I, I think people really underestimate the psychological energetic disturbances that might be blocking them from conception. Yeah, what 100%. No, I just I just know um from my own experience I am I um worked with somatic experiencing to get over eating disorder. Yeah. But I found that during my journey and working with my students of of getting over some deep trauma or uh some behavior that stems from that that's not serving them, 
that it's about getting into that moment when you have fallen apart and you just feel completely out of control and you almost black out. Sometimes you do. You black out and you do different behaviors or, you know, go into a, a crying fit or, or rage or many different things. You know, we're, we're very creative in all the different ways that we can do, you know, self-harm and harm to others. Um, it's so hard to wake yourself up in that moment. And the tools are, they can be different for every single person. Actually, I'm really glad that you mentioned specifically the tools about the therapeutic tools, because I did, uh, I, I am a student of SE as well. And uh, I'm actually really pumped. I'm interviewing Peter Levine soon. Oh my gosh. Amazing. That book. So guys, if you're listening, Waking the Tiger, Peter Levine. Or trauma-proofing your kids. Every single mom should be reading that right Interesting. Now. I've never heard of it. Oh, it's so good. That's right. So Peter Levine changed my life. Um, the practices of EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing were really healing for my, my trauma recovery. Um, uh, talk therapy, EFT, emotional freedom technique, tapping, which is something that I, I teach and it's also uh, available readily on the internet through YouTube and, and, and other teachers. Uh, also just... I'm a sober woman. I've been sober for 15 years. So maintaining my sobriety, even when things were not the way I wanted them to be, right? And, and devoting my life to well-being. Uh, I also did a really serious gut cleanse. I healed, I, and this is where Daphne's going to light up. I know. I was just thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, Daphne's probably like, oh. Bio, tell me everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I had such severe stress because of being so triggered by these the, the traumatic stuff that had been on earth that I got SIBO, which is um, a gut condition that's a, a, bacteria, uh, a bacteria in your small intestine and it's a real pain in the ass and it's super hard to cure. And I did follow the medical guidance and then I followed a radical plan for healing my gut through food. And pretty much for four and a half months, I ate only the food that I had cooked. I ate only cooked food. I went to a wedding and brought my own food. Like I literally would go out to restaurants and bring my own food. I was on such a strict diet. And then the part of that diet also was just complete self-preservation and sauna and yoga and meditation and just, just decompressing and unwinding and creating new habits in my nervous system. And that's when I got pregnant, you know? So it, was about, it wasn't just the food and the gut health, but I do think that your microbiome does affect your vaginal flora, which does affect your ability to conceive. I'm a huge believer from my own experiences that your brain tells your body if it doesn't think you are in a good headspace to be able to conceive, if it, if it, if it knows you better than you know yourself, that you are an inhospitable environment because you're stressed or you're sick or you're overwhelmed or you're any number of things that you know we can be without even paying attention to it because it's so much more comfortable to shove that under the rug and just continue going through your your you know everyday routine um and i 1000% believe that the that you know these our ladies will have heard me talk about gut health ad nauseum, so I won't talk about it too <laughs> no, much. No, we love it. Do. We love it. We always learn so much. I love it, Daphne. <laughs> no, but I just, I just absolutely think that, like, we, we, call, we are only beginning to scratch the surface of how vital gut health, uh, the the roles gut health plays beyond digestion, which is its critical role in your mood, in your ability to conceive. Like you were just talking about, Gabby, like your hormone, I, your hormone production for sure. I mean, you've, you, you know, the trillions and trillions of living cells that are alive in your gut that dramatically outnumber you. Um, you know, you're their host, but it's, it's pretty, it's pretty wild to me. And I think very empowering, actually, the more we learn, the more we'll come to understand that, um, 
that there are certain practices we have to take advantage of and certain things that we can without, without, I mean, you did the right thing for you, you know, the four and a half months of complete, you know, radical elimination and getting rid of anything that could be uh, inflammatory or aggravating to you. But um, there, there are, there are more manageable steps. I, th- I think that everyone can be adopting things like, you know, working probiotics, r- working pre and probiotics into your diet, making sure you have fermented foods, re- recognizing the stress triggers that are in your life and eliminating the ones that you can. Like, I just, I'm curious. This is the big word, Daphne, right? Because yeah. the reason that we have, um, dysbiosis isn't because yes, we eat foods. Okay. Yes. That's that, not we, I'm not saying anyone on this call is doing that because we don't, but People in the world eat shitty food, and that is obviously a cause for dysbiosis. But the biggest cause is stress. It's the biggest cause is impermissible rage, uh, unfelt emotions, traumas from the past. We we have chronic pain and suffering because of these these unconscious wounds that we have not healed. Yeah, and I think that this goes back to the how to, which is what I was trying to get at before. You know, because so many people can listen to this. I mean, I used to go, but before I was a yoga teacher, I would go to yoga classes, and people would be like, "Breathe, let your emotions go, heal your pain." All of a sudden, I'm like, "Yeah, that sounds really good." How? Like, can you please tell me how? And whether you, you know, for you as listeners are, are thinking about, okay, I want to start a meditation or I want to start a yoga or I want to start, you know, thinking about diet, going back into trauma, somatic experience. I mean, there's a million different ways where you can look inside and address what's going on, but ultimately have it be something where you feel like you're doing something, even if it's just practicing. I mean, that's why we call it a practice, putting one foot in front of the other and getting to a place where you're focusing on how you feel and focusing on, hey, if I change this, does that change feeling? But ultimately, we get to a place of of deep sadness, whether it's about fertility or something else, when we feel like there's nothing to do. And there is usually always something to do. That's a good segue because, you know, I, my fertility journey didn't, my 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 personal growth journey due to fertility and birthing and motherhood didn't end with conception. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it carried on. Mm-hmm. So I I and I wanna I wanna speak to this because becoming a mother, even deciding or thinking I'd like to be a mother, I believe un is is this sort of is this level of willingness. It's an unconscious prayer to a higher power of your own understanding that says, I am willing to do whatever I have to do to clean up or face and, or not face, but you're actually inviting it in, whether you face it or not, you're inviting in consciously or unconsciously the opportunity to go to a deep, deep healing place to clear away the patterns from, and the wreckage from your past so that you don't replicate it onto your child. Now, some people show up for that and some people don't, but we all ask for it consciously or unconsciously when we decide to be to be a mother. And so I obviously set that invitation as we all do, which is I want to be a mother, which means I, 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 I'm going to be presented with difficult moments along the way. And some moms may be like, actually, I don't think any mom would say I haven't had difficult, a diff, a, some difficult moment along the way. There's mm-hmm. just, it's just, it, it just is. It doesn't mean that it has to be all hard because it's the most beautiful thing in the world. But uh, the, the journey for me is I had this incredible pregnancy. Like I was 38 years old. I delivered at 39. 
I had this beautiful pregnancy. My son was, I kept saying my son is so strong. He's so strong. And he, and he, and he was in the, in utero and he is now. And it was just, I had the most epic birth. I did a hypnobirthing. So I birthed like this fabulous birth with like this leading midwife, Dr. Aviva Ram, you should have her on the show. And uh, I had my my little country town, and I, I don't even want to brag about my birth because if anyone's listening and you are now birthing, maybe a different experience. And as we are in this new time, so I'm not going to brag about it. But it was good, okay. And then four months later, I started having severe anxiety and insomnia, and that turned into suicidal postpartum depression. On Mother's Day last year, exactly a year ago, you know, two weeks from today, I said I wanted to kill myself. So the, the gift, I speak about that so openly here and, ever, and anywhere that moms are listening because I just want moms to know that there, one, is so much help. There is just a tremendous amount of help and that that journey does have purpose. That if you have been hit with some kind of postpartum experience that is detrimental to you, that once you get on a healing path with the right support, and in my case, it was medicated support, which in addition to three therapy sessions a week, but you know, Zoloft saved my life. And here I was, I had authored seven self-help books, hadn't had a, fulfilled a prescription ever, and I'm now on uh, antidepressant. But that medication saved my life. But what it also gave me was the safety to go deeper into the bigger work. So I think that really allowing ourselves to see whatever obstacles have been placed before us on our, on our conception and labor and delivery journey and pregnancy journey as well mm-hmm. are exactly as they need to be. And if we show up with, to them with the willingness to heal and grow, then we can come out of them a better woman and a better mother. And most importantly, a better mother to ourselves. Yeah, I think that's a really, a really critical well, a distinction and a really beautiful way of phrasing it because so often we think of self-care as selfish and we think of self, even just the awareness to, to, to be able to recognize that you're in a, in a mental place where you're either not yourself, you don't recognize yourself, or you're dragging up things that are really potentially would cause you to do harm to yourself, I think is it's it's crazy to me that it's only now becoming so widely talked about because I think so many mothers have experienced their version of anxiety or their version of postpartum um and and try to do try to deal with it alone and I would love for you to elaborate a little bit more on the kind of help that was valuable to you because there are so many women who do I really 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 want to talk about this okay so uh here here's the deal it took me two months to accept that I was suffering from postpartum depression and actually took my therapist to intervene and call my husband and say she medicated or she's going to put herself into a really uncomfortable, uh, you know, a bad place. So I didn't, because of the shame and the stigma around mental illness, I was way too afraid to, to even contemplate what it would mean to take antidepressants. But if you had been like, oh, you're anxious and depressed because your thyroid is off. I would have jumped to take level thyroxine like overnight. Do you know what I mean? So the fact that we have this stigma around mental illness, but we would never even question taking the, you know, 
the hormonal support or the supplement or the whatever we need for the physical condition is insane. So that's the first thing. I just want to acknowledge anyone who's suffering from a postpartum experience and it could be years later. Like these things go untreated for years because of the shame. I want to be a shame shifter. I want to release that shame for people. Here I am. I was brought up homeopathic. I had never fulfilled a prescription and I went on Zoloft and it saved my life. Now, I am by no means promoting antidepressants. They're absolutely overused. But I'm saying when you are having a biochemical condition, you need support. The same way if you're having a heart attack, you need support. The same way if you're having a, you know, you break your leg, you need support. So really working closely with a psychiatrist to help you recognize that. Now, if you can't afford a psychiatrist, there's the Motherhood Center in New York City. They're doing phone sessions and Zoom sessions now, and they can treat you medically. Uh, the, uh, the doctor, the head doctor there is a friend of mine, Catherine, and she's excellent. And she, uh, she's a postpartum psychiatrist who can diagnose and medicate if people need it or diagnose and say, you don't need medication. Let's do this instead. That's a medical step. But then there's this whole, you know, holistic step as well, which was to rebalance my life, to be in acceptance, to trust that I was being guided, even if the guidance was leading me in a direction I didn't like right? To uh, do the EMDR work and to use the, use the, the medication. Because when, you, when, you, when you're on a medication like that, you don't want to just be like, okay, I'm fine now. You want to use that as an opportunity because when you, when you take an antidepressant, it gives you a certain level of safety. And if you get yourself, if you're, if you're on that medication and you're feeling safer, then use it. Go to a place where you can go deeper into your subconscious and do bigger healing because you're safe enough to do it. That's really, really great advice because I think so much, we're so overwhelmed by so many different things. And for people, you know, I've never been on antidepressant, but a lot of, you know, I very people very close to me who it, it has helped tremendously, but it's so sort of like, okay, well now I'm taking this pill. So I don't have to think about that anymore and I'm going to continue on. But the problem is still there underneath. Um, that's really, really, really great advice. Um, you know, I, I want to also talk about, about right now, what's happening right now. Um, I would, I wouldn't say this if it weren't out there, but my husband's 35 years sober. Um, and it's something that's a big part of our life. Um, and I, you know, he's been talking to me a lot about how hard this time is for people who have, who are, you know, in their sobriety place and have struggled so much because it's really scary right now, you know, and people are alone and life is so different and people have lost jobs. And it's, I mean, everybody knows the list. So I'm not going to bore you with it. Um, but what are, what are some, some tips and tricks and tools that you could arm some of our listeners with who are, who are suffering? Yes. So it's about self-regulating. So we, um, when we feel out of control, we fall back into addictive patterns. And I'm not suggesting in any way that, that a sober person of 35 years is going to go pick up a drink. He's not. But he may be acting out with food or he may be acting out with you know, uh, TV. But it's not just him. It's everyone, even people who are not self-identified addicts. Okay. So when we feel out of control, we use other things, food, sex, porn, whatever, to anesthetize that discomfort and that feeling of being unsafe. So what I think I could give your, re your listeners right now that would be the most effective and beneficial are self-regulating tools for safety. So a simple one 
is a hold. These are, these are heart hold and a head hold. So if you place your left hand on your heart and your right hand on your belly, and you can close your eyes for a moment, and if you're driving, don't close your eyes, <laughs> and just breathe in deeply. And on the inhale, expand your diaphragm. And on the exhale, allow it to contract. Inhale out. Exhale in. Continuing that cycle of breath. Just saying gentle, compassionate, loving things to yourself. I'm safe. All is well. Breathing in and out. I have my breath. I have my faith. I am safe. I am safe. I am safe. Just take one last deep breath in and open your eyes and let that breath go. Daphne's doing it right. She's lying back. Mm -hmm. really good. I do it lying down before you go to bed, lie down. The practice of just full surrender. You can also do the hold where your, your left hand's on your heart and your right hand's on your head. And this is a really great hold for safety as well. And you could do the same thing. We're just breathing long and deep, or you could say, I am safe, or you could listen to a song that's soothing for you, or you could listen to a meditation, or you could anything like this. Okay. Another method is tapping emotional freedom technique. And this is like acupuncture meets, meets therapy. Okay. And we're not going to do a whole tapping round right here, but the simplest one is right between your pinky finger and your ring finger. There's this point and these points stimulate your brain to the same way and they stimulate these energy meridians to release deep-rooted unconscious fear, anxiety, pressure, whatever it may be. And so when you notice yourself having a panic attack, freaking out, you know, totally out of control, overeating again, wanting to pick up that drink, you point on this, this point between your pinky finger and your ring finger. And again, you can use that mantra, I am safe, breathing long and deep. I am safe. I am safe. I am safe. That's another one. I will give you guys this link to an hour-long anxiety relief free, free workshop I did. And I would really love for you to give it to your listeners and to your husband and to your you know, spouses, whoever needs it. Because there's six methods in that that I have been relying on right now more than anything. And then there's one that I really think we have to share. I'll, I'll give you this one. It's called Rage on the Page. My friend Nicole Sachs suggested it to me. She calls it Journal Speak. I renamed it Rage on the Page. <laughs> what it is, is it's, uh, it's journaling for, it's really based in the teachings of Dr. Sarno, who was, um, wrote a lot about how we, our physical conditions are psychosomatic. Okay. And when we, with the practice is simple, you, you, I listen, I, this is how I've adjusted it. I play bilateral music because I get that same benefit of the EMDR that we spoke about. So that you go to, you can go to, uh, you, you can go to YouTube or you can go to iTunes or you can go to Spotify and get bilateral music. Okay. And it stimulates both sides of your brain. And then I rage for 20 minutes. I time myself, turn my, my phone ringer off and turn off all notifications. And I time myself and I rage 
on the page. I get it out. I'm like, you know, I'm at it. I'm at it. The I'm at it. The situation. I'm at it. My, you know, myself. I can't believe I said that on that phone call. I'm frustrated that I ate that thing. Whatever. I just get it all out. Get it all out. Get it, I get get mad about all the news that's going on and the news anchors. I just go go crazy. Okay. Get the rage on the page. Twenty minutes is up. The alarm goes off. Close my eyes. Still listening to the bilateral music. And I allow myself to just relax. I can do a hold like you were doing, lying back, Daphne. Lie back, hold, breathe. Let the bilateral music take over. And then I'll do a meditation for 20 minutes. Moms may be like, screw that. I don't have 40 minutes to do this. Take whatever time you can. But the most important thing is to try to do the 20 minutes of rage on the page. And then even if it's five minutes of meditation afterwards. Because what it is, it's dumping your subconscious fears dumping, 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 dumping. Because when we're out of control and we want to go back to addictive patterns, it's because we haven't processed the unconscious stuff that's coming up for us. And we're all triggered right now. All of our childhood wounds are being triggered. All of our fears of being unsafe worthy are being triggered. Do you recommend first thing in the morning or, or right before bed to do that? Definitely not before bed because you don't want to overstimulate yourself before bed. So um, before bed is all about like a bath or uh, a yoga nidra, which is like a sleep meditation or, you know, a breath or a hold or something like that. But, but you can do it in the morning right when you wake up because it's just a cleansing. It's getting all the subconscious rage and fear and anxiety out. Uh, you can, I do it at 1.30 in, in the afternoon because it's when my kids, I actually do it at 1 because my kids asleep. So I take that 40 minutes. Um, what do you, what are some, you said it so beautifully that you, we have to look for ways to mother ourselves too. What are some other ways you, you've you mothered yourself in this time? You know, moms all over the world are questioning me right now because they're like, how are you getting up at 6 a.m. or 5.45 to do your spiritual work? And I'm like, because I have to. You know, I used to always, I was when I wasn't a mom, I'd be like, moms, you're so busy, get up earlier, you know? And I was like, oh, f- I really hope that I'm not, you know, a fraud when I become a mom. And I'm not, ladies. <laughs> I am a business owner. I am a spiritual student. And I am a private chef to Oliver and Zach. And I am a full-time carer right now at the same time. So I'm in the boat with everybody watching, except for those that also have to leave their house and go to do medical work or whatever it is that they're doing. God bless you. But I'm finding the time. So I wake up at 5.45. Now my mental clock just gets me up. But, but the way that I do that is because I go to bed at 9 or 10. Okay. And I wake up at 5.45, I go up to my office. I have, a, I have a bath in my office. I put all these crystals and candles and, and I light sage and I do all the like, the like woo-woo shit. And I just get in that bath and I play my mantra music and I lie there for at least a half hour. I come out of the bath. I do a little bit of stretching because at night, you know, I think, my, I think we're all tensing up so much right now while we sleep because we're just so self-protective. So I'm like really needing to wring it out. And then I have a tea and then I go get my son out of bed at seven o'clock. Oh, he and sleeps till seven o'clock. That's yes. amazing. I sleep trained my son. Uh, did you guys do sleep training? No, but okay. I not in it. any organized way, but my children do sleep. Mine <laughs> uh, don't. Mine are up at 5.30. I did the most beautiful. So I'm going to give you the information of my sleep trainer. You should definitely interview her. Okay. Oh, guys, she, she saved my life. Oh, my God. We hear about sleep issues. We, we may have all to delve time. into it a little bit here because now my interest is peaked and I don't know if I'm going to ever sleep again until I know what it is. Oh, um, so sleep training. Um, it's all about, you know, day sleep begets night sleep. And more sleep begets more sleep. People, people are like, oh, we'll just make your kid really tired and then they'll sleep better. No, wrong. 
<laughs> schedule a routine and full feedings, fully feeding the, the children, you know, making sure that they're well fed because, um, and, and fed on a, on a root night schedule because then they can, you know, have enough calories during the day that they can sleep through the night. Uh, and for my son, we sleep trained him by four months. He was sleeping through the night at four months. Um, because it's, you know, it's, it, it, we, we were, I followed the rules. I went, you know, I, I did it. Um, I did a very compassionate form of sleep training, which was like, I didn't just leave him to cry for hours. I would do a pat and shush. I'd go in every 10 minutes and reassure him I, that my presence was there. And then I would walk out and but it's all about teaching them how to self-soothe. And we set the clock for him, you know, put him down at a certain hour and then we would, we wouldn't get him out until a certain hour. So if he wakes up early, what do you do? We leave him. You leave yeah, him he in. hangs out, he plays. And he plays. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you have to train them to know this isn't my time to get out. And so sometimes he wakes up like 5 a.m. And sometimes they wake up, but they're not awake. They're crying out because they're sleep crying, but they're actually not awake. So if you want them to get out of bed at 7, and, and look, of course, if the kid's like flipping out, you know, you go and check because they could have, you know, have a bad diaper. They could have lost their onesie or, what, you know, whatever. Like, you, or they're sick or anything. You don't leave your child. I mean, you look at the monitor, you see what's going on. But we now know his patterns. We know he's going to cry out at 5 a.m. for 10 minutes and then he's going to go back. And then I go up and I'm, when I'm in my office, I can hear him downstairs. Like right now, he's just in his um, bed. We're, we're training him to be 12 to 3 in this nap. And so, you know, he wakes up, but he's been waking up at like 1.45 or 2. We leave him. If he, as long as he's playing, just let him play. Get, get used to being in that crib. Let that be something that you do. I think it's a really compassionate thing to sleep train your child because sleep is one of the most beneficial things for their health and for your health and your well-being. And one of the reasons I can wake up, you know, at 5:45 and have had, you know, a full night's sleep is because my kid goes to bed at 6:30. So I can he's still young enough that he can do that. I'm sure Daphne your older kids are not going to bed at 6:30. But can you just outline the rest of your daily schedule because I do think one thing people really get bogged down by is like how do you make room for this kind of deep self-work amidst everything else that you have to juggle. Okay. Um I'll say this with, you know, uh a lot of compassion and love for people who have multiple children, compassion and love for people who um, have never worked from home because I have worked from home my entire career. So it's been you know, obviously easier for me. So, um, but I do run a business with a lot of people who are relying on me to continue to pay them. So there's, it's not like any lack of pressure. At right. this point. So I, um, I have never been more routinized in my life than I am right now because normally I have full-time childcare. I have a nanny that comes from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. so that I can work. So I can, my husband and I can run our business. We've been home with our child, but we've never been solely responsible for him mm-hmm. other than weekends, right? So this is beautiful in many ways. The silver lining is I'm bonding deeply with my son. But I, um, so now I'm waking up at 5.45. I'm doing that bath routine doing the yoga, checking in with my COO for a minute or two because she's in the UK. So she's like wide awake. So we'll have a little chat over my tea. I get Ali out of bed. We go downstairs, we dance, we have a milk and breakfast. Then my husband, so, you know, I have, um, we have to tag team right now, everybody, right? We've got, you know, and, and if any of the single moms out there, God bless you. If there are single moms out there, I want them to email support at gabbybernstein.com and I will give you, I'll give you like five different digital courses that will support you. I just want to do anything I can to support you. 
just just email me, please. I'll give you my membership. That's amazing. Um, so then I will I'll take him till about like, you know, 815. Zach will come down and take him till take him until 11. So I have that stretch to just go and do. And I know I work well in the morning and Zach mm-hmm. does other work in the afternoon. So that's how we've made this commitment. I go deep. I get on the calls with my team. I'm, I just finished a book. I um, just created a course. Like I, I'm just getting in it all, right? Recording things, doing things like this with you now. Then I go back, I, have, I feed my son lunch and then I put him, to, put him down at 12. And we keep him in the bed ideally until what is it two thirty now two to two thirty or three unless he's completely losing his mind. But if, but no matter what, he stays in that bed for an hour and forty five minutes because that's part of the street sleep training. Okay, even if he's freaking out, an hour and forty five minutes. If he's freaking out, we'll do a check in like a pat shush whatever. We let him know we're there. But you know you can hear him and hear him right now. He's just talking to himself in bed two thirty. Zach might even leave him till three. Then I put that baby in the stroller. And I walk uphill and I make my phone calls or I listen to my music or I just talk to him as we walk. But if I have some more work to do, I can do it on that walk. And I walk up that hill, come back down. Um, and you actually forgot to mention that when he's sleeping is when I do the rage on the page. Okay? Rage on the page. And then I come back down, make him dinner. Zach will come down. Together we'll put him to bed. In, you know, bath, bottle, bed by 6.30. Then... I'll do my own meditation. That's when I go and I sit and I do a meditation. Then I do another form of meditation, Daphne, where I cook my meal. Yes. I've been doing something called mantras and meals. I like it. <laughs> I've been getting on my Instagram and I just like, I'll just be like, okay, the mantra today is, and I won't even like, I'll just, you know, let it come out. And I've been, you know, giving a mantra and then teaching people how to cook a meal. <laughs> and I'm the worst chef, cook, chef, friend, because I don't use recipes. So I'm just pissing everybody off, but it's inspirational. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, the last thing that's important is I have really serious sleep hygiene because as you know, I suffer from insomnia. So in my insomnia recovery after the postpartum, I learned how to sleep, sleep train myself. So I turn off all my devices before an hour, at least before I go to bed. Um, I really try not to get overstimulated with the news or anything like that, or television that's going to stimulate me too much, even in that hours before mm-hmm. Then I go and I get in bed, I will well, first I'll take a bath. I'll do some stretching. I'll put, you know, some oil on or whatever. I get into bed by myself because my husband goes to bed later. And I'll journal again and I'll read Peter Levine and I'll read, you know, I'll read the Dan Siegel book is another one I'm reading right now about no drama discipline, which is an excellent parenting book that I have. We had him on our podcast. Mm-hmm. Go Dan. Wow. Um, and I'll just do a little bit of that. I'll do a heart hold. I'll listen to mantra music again and then I'll fall asleep. And that is my devotional day. Love it. Several days throughout that week, I will have therapy, different therapies. I'm, I'm, I have, I'm not like cutting costs on my therapies right now. So I'll do EMDR. I'll do talk therapy. I'll do hypnosis. I'm, doing, I'm learning hypnosis for myself, but also so I can do it for others. So I'm doing that. And you know what? I'm finding the time. The routine, the schedule is making it work. I recognize I only have one child. So I want to honor all the moms out there with God bless you, five children. Oh my God. I know, but I think I think what you are um, showing us is that having a routine, fitting things in, because we all know that the hardest thing to do with things that we think are not necessary, such as meditation, exercise, cooking for ourselves, and not just you know microwaving something that that is going to be easy, um, is is having a schedule. The hardest thing is showing up. You're, it's so hard to show up to actually do it. 
But once you start to create that routine, you create the schedule, it becomes less of less of a stress to just pull yourself to your mat or, or your, your little spot where you're taking care of yourself. And there are places like you didn't, you know, you didn't hear you reference, um, watching your Netflix for two hours or being on your you know device for two hours, aimlessly reading news articles or whatever. Like there are choices that you've made to allow the space in your life for the things that are important to you. Exactly what you're saying, Laurie. I think that the, like, we need, we, we are being given an opportunity to sort of in our minds recalibrate what is the schedule that's going to allow the truly important practices of my life, the prior, and everyone's priority list is going to look different. Like the, and it's, and, um, but I just, I find it fascinating to know what the, what the actual sort of, you know, breakdown of the day looks like so that you can, for everyone listening, so that you can hear what it sounds like for someone who really deeply lives this, um, on a regular basis. I also, we don't have time to talk about it, but I am continually blown away by the fact that you turn out these like incredible books at at the pace that you turn them out. Like I don't, the creative, you know, melt of that. I don't even understand, but is that, you know why? because I meditate yeah. every single day. I have a belief system that is, that it's in super attractor. It's an entire chapter called do less and attract more. Talk about this. Cause this is something I'm really curious about. I think everyone needs, feels like they need a 25th hour in the day. So how do we do less and attract more. I think that we that we have a very ri- ridiculously backwards belief system that the more I push, the more I control, the more I do, the more successful I'll be. When actually, the more I pull back, the more I I I I allow myself moments of stillness. The more I put my well being as a high priority, the more time that will expand. Because when you feel good, you have more energy. When you feel good, you have more inspired ideas. The way that I have been able to author eight books in nine years is because I meditate regularly, because I am allowing inspiration to move through me. If I was you know, still using drugs and alcohol, obviously I wouldn't have written those books. If I was still acting out in other ways, I still wouldn't have written those books. If I, you know, so it, I'm living the practices that I preach. I am proud that I can say now that I'm a mom and I have no childcare at the moment and I'm still living these practices in my highest capacity. But I also want to just really highlight is if any mom is listening and they're like, wow, like I'm a loser. Like how could I, you know, I'm not doing any of those things or whatever. You know, recognize that I've had a meditation practice for 20 years, right? So this isn't, you know, this is a devotional practice. And even if you can get five minutes in the morning to do something loving to for yourself, like a bath or a meditation, that's that's fantastic. Okay, so I don't want anyone to feel shamed if they're like, I, I oh my god, her her day is so organized, you know. And and also, little changes are quite significant. So even if you're doing, I mean, I'm, I do a lot with working out with other people. And even if you'd work out for like two minutes, that's two minutes more than you did yesterday. You know what I mean? And it's just moving your body. It's focusing in. And sometimes, you know, there are people that need to like throw themselves in and be like, all right, for this hour, I'm going to be doing this. And then there's some people who are like, I need to do it a minute a day and then see how that feels. And the good news about all this stuff is it feels really good. It really does feel good. And so then it becomes addictive. And that's how there are people who are like you who have this regimented life. And it's like, no, I'm not watching. I mean, I don't know if you watch like The Bachelor and stuff like that. But like, you know, there I, I don't do that because I am busy doing other things. And those things are so good that it's addictive. And I want to be doing that addictive in a good way in a healthy way. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Like, like I've missed my rage on the page today because of um, our inner, our interview, which is totally fine. But like, I will have to get back to it at some point today because I'm like 
I'm committed. I want to streak. I'm long. And because we are creatures of habit and we can get out of the habit very easily. So you Mm -hmm. can get onto a workout plan and eating good and focusing on your mental health. And then once you stop doing, you're like, all right, I can miss a day. Okay. I'm going to miss another day. And then we start to get into a different habit. So you always have to be careful of bringing yourself back to what's serving you. So right now I want to recognize also that people may just be really out of alignment right now. And you're like, I'm just watching Netflix. I'm checking out. And I just want to give people permission just to understand that, to forgive yourself, to be okay with what, what has been, um, whatever coping mechanisms you've needed at this time, that's okay. And if you're ready to make adjustments, you know, start to take some of these lessons. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you are interested in your own well-being, and that's a big step. So leave us with this one last thing, because your book um, mentions the number one reason we don't attract what we want and how to fix that. So what, what is that? What is that key to life? The main reason that we don't attract what we want is because we often think when I have that thing, I'll be happy. But the real message is that when I'm happy, everything I desire will come to me and much, much, much more. So we have to recognize that we have to make feeling good our highest priority. And so while it may seem like a lot to get up at 5.45 a.m., and it may seem like a lot to devote 40 minutes in the middle of the day to do a rage on the page, or it may seem like a lot to you know, wind down for an hour, it's how we can become a super attractor. And the methods in that book, you know, they're, they're, they're simple. They're not, they're not overly complicated. And they're there to support people to really make those simple adjustments, as you said, simple, subtle shifts to create radical change in your life. Um, we love to hear your favorite thing. Um, my favorite products, the Dyson blow dryer has, you know, changed my life. Do you like it? Girl. I've been, he- I've been hearing about this. <laughs> There's something else. So, um, yeah, please. I think on the 17th I'm gonna lo- of May, I'm going to launch a 21 day meditation challenge. And if mamas are out there looking for that kind of support and guidance, and maybe there's like, like a mom group or something that wants to do it together. Mm-hmm. Just anything that I can do to help people create that structure and that support is what I think I'm being called to do right now more than ever, more than ever. You know, anything that we can do to be in that place. And that's it. You're the best. Thank you, guys. you so love much. You. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mom That was Gabby. Uh, you know, I learned a lot. I love, I love her soothing voice. I love her her wise <laughs> tips. I love how she is so, you know, just open about her own struggles and continued struggles and really talks about how important it is to have a schedule. You know, you never get to a point where you have to stop practicing and have to stop showing up. You never get to a point. It's like, oh, well, I've done that. So I'm just there. You have to continue. That's why all this stuff, as I said in the interview, is called a practice. Um, You know, I, I think the only way that I manage to work out almost daily and I manage to do the very, at this point, very few, you know, self-care things that I'm capable of doing at this point, especially in quarantine, especially with so many kids and pregnant and everything, is that I just make them fit into the day. Like I put my kids to bed, I'll eat with my husband, and then I go up into my bathroom and I will work out in my bathroom every single night. And it's just for like 40 minutes, but everybody's sleeping, 
you know, my husband and I have have had our little date time and he knows he'll see me again after the 40 minutes, but it's just that time where it's mine. So whether you can do something like, like she can, where you can get up early and do it or after the kids go to bed or during nap time, you know, that's something that, you know, pre having to teach them school, I would do, I would work out during nap time because two of my kids still nap. Um, but just kind of find your own rhythm and, and listen to yourself. You don't have to adhere to every, anybody else's recipe for their own self-care. You really just listen, try, experiment, be curious and try to see what, what makes you tick and what feels good. Yeah, I love that. And I, I do think there were a couple of themes that resonated for me in the conversation. The one that you just ended on, which is we have to be experts in ourselves. And this time gives you some, I mean, I, I've never felt so busy, to be honest. I feel like really scattered and crazy a lot of the days, but it's also given me those moments to sit and reflect on the things that are important to me. It's a really interesting time to be looking at, can we adopt new practices or or new schedules, new routines um, that are going to give us the space we need to to try to heal to try to grow, to have a positive outlook and be that beacon for ourselves and for our families. So definitely inspiring to me. And, um, and I know you guys are going to love, love learning more and, um, and just diving deeper. And even if this is just a jumping off point, like just let it sink in and see what percolates to the top. And now it's time for our favorite things. Now it's time for our favorite things. Yes. So my favorite thing this week, um, given all the homeschooling that's happening right now, uh, this was something I did for the kids that has radically changed how effective and productive they are during their you know Zoom sessions and everything else. I took a box from Home Depot or Amazon or whatever kind of sturdy, usually like a sturdy moving style box so it stands upright because if it's been beaten up through the, the mail service, it can sometimes not work as well. Slice it in half lengthwise and then it forms this incredible trifold like privacy screen like imagine parakeets that get a curtain put over them when they need to sleep i put this private screen privacy screen up in front of both philo and john and it helps them focus and not get distracted by each other and not fight with each other and you know i mean my kids want a snack every like 15 minutes. And so if one had a snack and the other one didn't, then it was a big thing. And one gets water and the other one didn't, it's a big thing. And this just lets them have their own little peaceful study space that um, has absolutely shifted the way that we are getting through the homeschooling piece of this uh, and made my life much, much happier and easier. And I saw, I put it up on my Instagram and a lot of people had asked about it. So I thought I would share with you guys if you're still struggling for some easy, um, you know, like at home in classroom style setups, it was something that really, really helped. I love that. I think I, I like responded like some emoji to you being like, this is genius. My kids want to snack all the time too. Like the moment I'm like, hey, it's time to do your math homework. They're like, I'm so hungry. And I'm like, can we do the math I'm homework so first? And they're like, hungry. I won't be able to focus because I'm so hungry. And I'm like, great, excellent. Uh, this is why these days ridiculous. are never, ever, never, never, never And ending. John wants like an over easy egg on whole grain toast. He's not <laughs> like, oh, can, I, have, can, I, can I get some? I swear to you, it's He's ridiculous. Like, fresh, eggs, Mom, fresh eggs, mom. Fresh eggs. an egg from outside. Fresh eggs. <laughs> Like, literally. And Philomena wants like cinnamon toast with the perfect ratio of melted butter. I mean, I, I was part of me wants to be like, do you get these snacks at school? I thought you'd settle for goldfish. Like, what are we talking about here? This is crazy. 
That's so funny. Of course, your kids do. My favorite thing is I do a scalp treatment, especially in the winter. My scalp can get really dry. So I take Moroccan oil, like the actual uh, oil, and it comes with a dropper and I put it on my scalp. So I put, I, I fill up the dropper and I put it in different places on my scalp and I'll like release in a, a, or squeeze, what is the right word? Like a significant amount. And then I'll like really massage it into my scalp. And then I'll put a ton of conditioner on top of that. And then if I can, I'll sleep with it. If I can't, I'll do like, you know, an hour, I'll go work out, I'll cook for the kids or whatever. And then you have to, you do have to shampoo it a lot because otherwise your hair will be very greasy. But it's amazing because I think scalp health is extremely important because you want to have, you know, the flakes. So that's, that I absolutely love. All right, guys, that's it from us this week. Thank you as always for tuning in, guys. We we love and appreciate you and we're thinking of you. Um, Don't forget to... Hit us up with a rating and a review if you have the time to do so and subscribe. Tell your friends about us. We love to hear from you, mombrainpod at gmail.com. We are on YouTube and Instagram and all around the interwebs. So check us out and stay connected. And um, we will, of course, see you next Wednesday. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production.